this Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTubePrideChallenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride. Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. Today, we've got a fun little assortment of topics for you. We're going to talk a little bit about Free Guy, which was very successful in its second weekend at the box office. It had a very small drop uh, relative to other films. And actually, even in normal times, this would be a very respectable second week drop off, uh, which is going to lead us to talking a bit about box office and sort of is it even fair to to make box office judgments right now. And then we're going to talk a little bit about something that was trending on Twitter this weekend about some people are like defending Blockbuster video and other people are like, no, Blockbuster is bad. And as, you know, millennials, like Adam and I have opinions on Blockbuster. Like it was part of, like we're movie fans and like we grew up movie fans, like we have opinions on Blockbuster. So you're going to hear about it. But before we get to all that, let's let's start off with Free Guy, which is a film I really enjoyed. I admit that it is flawed in some ways. Like it makes critiques it can't necessarily sustain. And so I think as satire, it doesn't necessarily work. But I think as sort of life affirming, uh, really fun, joyful film, it succeeds wildly. And like, I was just very pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. And I'm curious, Adam, what, what did you think about Free Guy? Yeah, I thought it was terrific. It's just like a perfect crowd pleasing, really enjoyable, smart and sweet and like entertaining, fun movie. Um, I agree, you know, in terms of the satire, it doesn't quite click, but you kind of don't care because it's so charming and effortlessly like enjoyable. I can't wait to watch it again. and it was also like, you know, my wife is not a gamer. She doesn't play video games. And so I was curious if that like, you know, the gaming stuff was going to be a little um, a little bit too much to handle, but she loved it. She absolutely loved it. So I think it, you know, it's just one of those like kind of once in a lifetime, like four quadrant kind of blockbuster movies that studios are always trying to like making a lab and they it always you they don't pass the sniff test you're like oh this is like cloying or this is like catering to these fans or whatever but this one just, just feels organic even when you get to some moments in the third act that are very clearly like okay fans get out of your seats and clap for this moment like it works because it is like it earns that uh it earns that moment because you are rooting for ryan reynolds's character here and i was surprised you know i'm not like the world's biggest sean levy fan yeah. You know, like I'm not crazy about the night at the museum films. Uh, I don't, I wasn't uh, that bowled over by this is where I leave you, uh, which is his dramatic film. I think real steel is all right. Although I think the kid in that is not very good, uh, which is a problem. How do you feel about the pink Panther? Never even saw it. Never <laughs> even saw it. Yeah. Uh, nor did I see, I don't know if he did cheaper by the dozen or cheaper he by the dozen. Did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The first one he did. He did and just one. married. So, that I haven't seen either. So yeah, like it's it's not like I'm like diehard Sean Levy fan. And even Ryan Reynolds, like I like Ryan Reynolds a lot, but I think for Ryan Reynolds, we kind of associate him more, not just with Deadpool, but with the comedy of Deadpool. Like the reason people were so excited about the prospect of him playing that role is because it's like, he's snarky. 
Like he's yeah. kind of snarky. He's got that, he's got that kind of sardonic edge. I don't even know if sardonic is the right word, but sort of silly, darkly comic. And Guy is just a really good natured character. And I think it's a really nice role for Reynolds that's different from the stuff that he's played before. Like obviously it's comedic and he's very good at comedy, but this is not like him doing Deadpool. Yeah. Yeah, it's not as you're right. It's not as snarky or cynical as a lot of his uh, stuff is. Even in something like Just Friends, it's not necessarily cynical, but I guess it is snarky. That kind of like smarmy. He's able to make smarmy charming. Like that's kind of his yeah. his superpower. Right. Like you see films like you know, I mean, even beyond Deadpool, you have like Van Wilder was like his big breakout role, yeah. and then like or something like Waiting you know, where it's sort of like, I'm handsome, Adventureland, same kind of deal. Yeah. yeah. Handsome, kind of gross, but like, yeah, you like the guy anyway. You root for him anyway. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it was nice to see him kind of playing against type, but I also think he does some really nice dramatic work in this mm -hmm. film, like, because he's playing a, a guy who has to become self-aware that he doesn't exist. And he kind of goes through that, that crisis, but then comes out on the other end, like, well, I'm still a good guy. I don't know. It, it was a, it was surprising at every turn. And I'm with you. I mean, Sean Levy, he's not my favorite filmmaker. Um, he's made films that I like. I think he's a really excellent producer on Stranger Things. Um, and I think he's directed some of the best episodes of Stranger Things. Um, but even the writers like Zach Penn, you know, he's fine. You know, he his track record. I am record kind doesn't of curious of like how much was Zach Penn's involvement and how much because this is the script came from Matt Lieberman. Yeah, and then Zach Penn has the A and credit, so I'm curious how much rewriting Zach Penn did on this. I think so. In our interview with Matt Lieberman, he said that Zach Penn really nailed down a lot of the romantic comedy stuff and mm -hmm. the like relationship stuff, okay. and Matt Lieberman's script was much more like building out the world and all the gaming stuff and okay. all of, like in the in world kind of things. So, but I and I think that's you know this movie is secretly a romantic comedy, which I'm a sucker for romantic comedies. And I think it, it, it does that really well. I think Judy Comer does a really fantastic job. And you have these people having to play like different types of characters because they're one way in the real world. And then they're another way inside the game, but it feels, you know, um, you could feel that connection. It feels like the same kind of person. Yeah. I also like, I think Levy made a lot of really good touches, like a lot of good directing decisions. Like I think, for one, I think it's smart that the film, when it's inside Free City, it's just essentially a live action thing. Yeah. And then when you pull back, then it's like, you know, pixels and like it's animation. Mm -hmm. And it was a smart decision not to be like, well, let's just do it all animated. Let's just do it all animated except for the real world. But like inside the game will still be animated because that would have created a barrier that you don't really need to be yeah. like oh, the characters have to see each other as we see them. Like, no, they'll see each other as we see each other. And I think that draws you further in. And I think, you know, it was a film that sort of had enough confidence to be like, video games have been around enough and gaming culture has been around long enough that we can make these references and we don't have to handhold that people will get it. People will get it. Even if they don't game, they'll be like, oh, I've seen the Matrix. I understand the notion of like, there's a personality. Like, yeah, they the lingo is there. I think yeah. they, and I think having that confidence in your audience really pays strong dividends here. Well, and it's just really brilliant in that first act and how it introduces the world and the rules of the world mm -hmm. uh, all through character, all through guy. Uh, I think it's just really smart. I think you're right. I think Sean Levy makes a lot of great decisions as a director here. 
like you, they could have done it motion capture. Like it could have gone like mm. full Adventures of Tintin. <laughs> it would have been or, like, or, eh. or like something like Ready Player One, where it's like where yeah, every character yeah. gets to be, you know, oh, you could yeah. be whatever you want, and then mm-hmm. yeah, and then you're mocapping everything. Yeah, there's something fun about the tangible aspect of like watching Joe Keery in like mm-hmm. a cop uniform. <laughs> right. No, I mean it's it's funnier to watch like a guy show up like in a bunny outfit just because he can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that I think it makes it more authentic to the experience that they're like. And of course, they're talking about skins. Yeah. And like if you're and, you know, it's one of those things where it's if, if you're not a gamer, you can pick up on context clues like, oh, a skin is what you put over your character. But then it becomes a good joke in the movie where I was like, why do you want my skin? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, that's the thing is that like it's told entirely through the eyes of a guy who doesn't know he's a character in a game. So he is the point of view. He's the point of entry. And he can you can use that to explain what is a skin. Like, how does this work? Mm -hmm. What is a non-playable character? You can do all of that through character. And I think it works. tremendously. Yeah, no, I think it's it's a really strong script that's well directed and really fun and heartwarming. And I laughed a lot. You yeah. know, it was just, it felt good to laugh. <laughs> I mean, there, there's, and I mean, the thing is, is like as, as cheerful as it is, there's some good dark comedy bits littered throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one bit with a cameo that was not spoiled. Like I was very grateful that like I yeah. went in without any of the cameos being spoiled. Same here. Um, and there's one where like, the, the cameo is is an actor that you'll know but then like it cuts to like just some some guy in his bedroom and it's like <laughs> the what he's shouting at his mom was just I, I was i was crying and the mom is voiced by tina fey apparently which oh, i did not know there yeah. you go who sean levy directed in date night so yeah i mean crazy. looking at his filmography like it's clear that he's a guy that a lot of people love he seems like a super nice guy and I do remember there was a point in time, I think it was like after Real Steel, where he was being courted for some pretty big projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember writing up stuff like that, uh, but some of them didn't really come to fruition. But I don't know. To me, Free Guy shows his evolution as a filmmaker and maybe, you know, what Stranger Things has done for him as a filmmaker. Because you look at Date Night and I finally watched that movie for the first time and it's not good. It has a ton of great people in it. Steve Carell and Tina Fey are hilarious. But you can also feel there's a difference between what is cracking you up on set and what is going to translate to film, like in a mm-hmm. story that is going to be funny. And that is very hard to do. And that movie doesn't that movie doesn't nail that. Uh, I think similarly, the internship feels a little weird. <laughs> like the whole the, the Google I feel of it like, all. <laughs> I mean, the internship came out like I think in like 2013. And I yeah, 20, the, yeah 2013. Yeah. And I remember like basically the the what nailed it was the onions being like, this is the hit film of 2005. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just felt super late and just redundant. Yeah. And I liked, this is where I leave you. Um, I thought it, it was a refreshingly mature piece of work from him, but yeah, I think, you know, the last one he directed was not at museum secret of the tomb, which came out the same year as this is where I leave you in 2014. And he hasn't made a film since then, but he has been very active as a producer on movies like arrival. Um, and then a producer director on Stranger Things. And I don't know, it feels like maybe that kind of honed him in a bit um, when it comes to Free Guy, because I think this is by far his best film. It is. Yeah. And I think and it's I, one of Ryan Reynolds' best films. Maybe oh, it is Ryan Reynolds' best film, you know? I don't know if I'd go as far as to say it's Ryan Reynolds' best film. It could be. It's definitely up there. Um, you know, 
Can we can we talk about the nines? <laughs> <laughs> I have a not film seen that the only nines. I like. <laughs> is that John August? That is John August. John yeah, August yeah, wrote yeah. and directed that. Um, but you know, I I feel like um, that yeah, this is just a great showcase for both of them. And I I don't know. I feel like it's the kind of film like I'm if if delta were not raging right now i would be very much like let, let i want to go to a theater and watch this movie yeah that's yeah, the I thing like that's really the only thing like if there were not a public health crisis right now i would have seen free guy in a theater more than once yeah so I, I saw it on like a sunday afternoon and i made sure there was no one else like around the seats that i was getting in the theater um mm-hmm. it is coming to digital at the end of september now so, oh, yeah. which I guess is Disney's new thing is 45 days after release, it's on digital. Um, that's because uh, they did that with Black Widow and it just seems like that's like, I think Jungle Cruise is also coming to digital early. Um, you'll have to buy it. Uh, I don't know if digital includes like rentals. Like, is that VOD as well? I have no idea. I have no sure. idea. And I also don't know like what digital means for them. Like, okay, so it's digital and then like, but then what does it mean for Disney plus and all of that stuff? Yeah, I think with Free Guy specifically because it was a Fox film, it is tied to those pay one windows that were already under contract. Mm, so it'll be right. on HBO, much the same way X-Men Dark Phoenix was on HBO. Mm. And but this the is New a much Mutants, better movie then. <laughs> yeah, and The New Mutants was on HBO. I think Free Guy will be on HBO uh, probably in the next like six, seven, eight months. Yeah. I think is, is how they've been doing it. Well, it's a great film and, you know, it had a very successful opening weekend at the box office uh, for, for the pandemic. You know, it's, I'm, it's, it's interesting. I'm curious how this film would have succeeded otherwise. Like in a weird way, the pandemic has made room for films that may not have succeeded as much. So for instance, if you were to put Free Guy in a different context of like, well, movies are just opening, maybe like it gets steamrolled by like the second or third weekend release of like a Marvel film. Yeah. But with the drop-offs happening and with people being more hesitant, I think it, it makes a little more room for something like Free Guy. And then Free Guy uh, had in its second weekend did not have, like, I don't know what the drop was, but it was, it was below 50%. Like it, which is yeah, I'm not sure. It was I like a 30. That. I think it was like a 39 percent drop, which is very good. Yeah, um, 30. Yeah, 34 percent drop. That's yeah. the smallest second week in decline of any wide release this summer. Right. So like people heard about it, they wanted to go see it. Um, and I think you know, and I, I hopefully that word of mouth carries it a little longer. Uh, it's it's because it's a really good movie. But I also would you know point out that like it it was very easy if you're going week to week, it's like, it's easy to make sort of grand proclamations. Like the box office is this, the box office is that, you know, it's like people, it's like, you can't do hybrid releases or you can't, you have to do hybrid releases or you have to. And, or, and I just feel like the, the argument that we need to make is that we don't know. And like, I feel bad for people. Like there are people like whose job is to analyze box office and not just like analyze it for the studios, but like journalists who are like, Every weekend I'm out here being like, this is what the box office is and I have to explain it. And you can't just do like shrug emoji and be like, who knows we're in the middle of a pandemic, but (laughs) that's the truth. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We don't know. Like, so this notion that like we can judge anything from its box office. Like I saw some, some account uh, be like, you know, 
Space Jam succeeded more than, uh, you know, the Suicide Squad. And I'm like, well, one's PG and one is R. And one was released <laughs> yeah. before Delta ramped up and one wasn't. And like, yeah. why are you like, it's, it's the, we're not at like a level playing field. Like it's not the same sort of deal. Like the only thing those two films have in common is that they're both part of the HBO Warner Brothers hybrid strategy. Yeah. Beyond and that. Then- you know? Well, and until they start releasing numbers for HBO Max and how much they made or whatever, like Disney has done with their Disney Plus stuff, it's all relative. I mean, just anecdotally, it feels like no one is watching The Suicide Squad, but like I don't know for sure. <laughs> you know, the box office is not good on that movie. Um, and like the buzz seems to not be significant, but there are other real world issues going on right now that I think people are are more focused on than movies that are coming out and the movies they are choosing to see is something like free guy where it's like, I'm going to go take my mind off of shit for a while. Yeah. And free guys are pretty clear. Like, I also think there's something to be said for like, what's a clear and easy sell. Like, I think if you, you need to drill down a little bit and like free guy is like Ryan Reynolds, he's funny. He's a guy in a video game and he doesn't know it. But yeah. now he's going to try to get out of it. And it's it. It's I, I can explain that in a sentence. And here's a Mariah Carey song. That's super catchy. And here's a Mariah Carey song. But it's like, I know what video games are. He's a guy in a video game. He, he does. You know, it's I get it. I've seen the Lego movie. I've seen the Matrix. Yeah, I get it. Um, Whereas the Suicide Squad. I remember I told my wife, Leslie, like, oh, I when I was on my way to that screening, I'm like, I'm going to go see the Suicide Squad. And she's like didn't they make that already? And I'm like, no, no, that was Suicide Squad. This is called The Suicide Squad. <laughs> oh, is it a sequel? Kind of. <laughs> is it a reboot? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> so like, and she's like, I have not seen any marketing for this movie. And I'm like, yeah. hey. and so, you know, the notion is, is like, well, what is it? Whereas at least like something like Space Jam, A New Legacy has at least a new legacy on it. It's like, it's Space Jam, but it's LeBron James. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, I get, I know that. Okay, I know that is obviously different than the movie that came out 25 years ago. But even something like Black Widow, where it's like, wait, so I'm supposed to go see the movie about the character who is already dead? Like, yeah. wait, yeah. what? Like, and and so, and I'm going to be very curious to see how something like Shang-Chi performs. Yeah. Because... To me, Black Widow was not a good test of the Marvel brand. I think, you know, something like Shang-Chi, where it's at least least different and a new character and a new world. Let's see how that does uh, rather than Black Widow. And yet it also feels uh, unnecessary to see Shang-Chi opening weekend. It it does. A lot of it feels unnecessary. Yeah. Especially, Especially with like... The other thing we didn't mention with Black Widow is like, there's Marvel. I think there's Marvel overload right now. You know, I really do. I feel like, and it was, it almost feels like Disney learned nothing from the fact of like, oh, we're going to release The Last Jedi. And then six months later, we're going to release Solo Mm -hmm. and see how that works out for us. Because you can always have more, like Disney, you can always have more of the thing. I don't know. I don't understand scarcity, even though I invented the, the stupid Disney vault which is art, literally artificial scarcity to create. I think they overestimated demand. demand because it had been a year and a half, two years since the last Marvel movie. And they were like, fans are going to be starved. Let's just roll out WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki, right into Black Widow. And then what if? And pe- fans will love all of it. It's, it's so much stuff. It's yeah. so much stuff. And we're not even like, it's still, there's still more stuff. Cause like once you have Shang-Chi come out, 
then it's going to be uh you still have eternals you still have a new spider-man movie although that's sony's deal and not, not that movie's going to be huge i think that, that movie's movie going to be, be it's it's crazy to me how people are like i need to see the trailer <laughs> yeah. i'm like who, why do you need to see the trailer you're gonna even see my, the movie even my wife who's not super up on movie stuff she's like it's so weird that there's not a trailer yet right like what's going on? Re- and I'm like, am I the I only one who's like, it's not weird that there's been no trailer. The film doesn't come out till December. <laughs> That's how I feel too. But she it was also like, like you know, doesn't need to be marketed. At, like they could just be like, here's the title, here's the release date. You're gonna yeah. go see it. Yeah, I mean, I guess in the before times you would get a first trailer like 12 to 10 months before the movie came out. You would get some kind of teaser. Yeah, five months before the movie came out, you get the full trailer and then like three months, another trailer. And then one month is like the full on blitz and you've had images and all that stuff. But I just I don't understand. I've just never not never. I used to be young and be like, give me a trailer. And now I'm like, I'm over trailers, which is (laughs) what will happen when you report on them for 15 years. (laughs) You'll get over it. I really like The Witcher. I still have not watched The Witcher season two trailer. I'll get to it. Yeah, exactly. Like I just, uh, trailers, what are you going to do? Um, but I, I feel like, so you have like Spider-Man and then you also have like, I think Marvel show wise. Th- Hawkeye is in November. Ha- it's Hawkeye. And I think that's it. I think that's the last of the Marvel shows for the year. Yeah. They haven't announced any others, but I wouldn't I think be surprised they moved, if January I think, is. I think they moved Miss Marvel back to 2022. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if like January is Ms. Marvel or something like that. Or She-Hulk maybe. Yeah. Um, So like, and that's the thing. There's going to be even more Marvel. Like you have four Marvel movies coming out next year and you're going next year. You're going to have Ms. Marvel, She-Hulk, probably Moon Knight. um, And then, you know, maybe Armor Wars, maybe Secret Invasion, maybe, you know, like all these other Marvel shows. And it's just like, at some point, as a viewer, it starts to feel like homework and you're like, I don't feel the need. Like it, when it all, when it's all Marvel things, it loses its sense of urgency. So I'm not really surprised that Black Widow did not perform that well. And I'm not going to be super surprised if Shang-Chi doesn't perform that well, because I think yeah. Disney is overdoing it. Yeah. And I said this before, but like Avengers Endgame was a stopping point. Yes. If you wanted to get off the train at that point, you were more than welcome. And yeah. so I think there's probably a not insignificant number of people that are like, I don't have an like I I know like I saw the end of the Thanos thing. I know what happened. I don't have a need to like catch up on like catch the East. Like the next saga or whatever has not been revealed yet. So no one's like, oh my God, I have to keep up with the story so I know what's happening. I think They're it's like, gonna t- I'll well, get it later. And honestly, I think it's gonna take some sort of like the Avengers type event. Yeah. Because like we forget, like films like Captain America, the Winter Soldier, and Thor did not like tear up the box office. No, they did well, and each did one well did successively enough, better. But they weren't like everyone is seeing this movie. It wasn't until like the Avengers, yeah, that people were like, "Oh, I'm going to go back and watch the older films." And I think mm-hmm. that may be the case here, where there will be some sort of team up event of some sort, like some sort of thing, a, a, a thing that's bigger than the sum of the solo films. And then people will be like, "Okay, now I'll go back and watch Black Widow and Shang Chi and Eternals." Yeah. Uh, I'm with you. Though. I think Spider-Man is going to be massive. I think it'll be the one-two punch of Spider-Man and Doctor Strange where people are like, oh, there was a cameo by this guy. And it says that now with the multiverse, this is going to happen. Right. And so then people are like, oh, wow. Okay. Right. Well, yeah, it'll be, I mean, and we didn't have streaming during Marvel's phase one or phase two. So like now it's, now it's going to be like, oh, I'll catch that on Disney plus. 
because Black Widow will be on Disney Plus in like two months. So right, exactly. And so now it'll be even easier for people to to catch up on this stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, but I also, and I, 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 I'm reluctant to point this out, but I will now because I the embargo lifts like in two minutes. <laughs> but like the thing about Black Widow is like Black Widow was not a great movie. Like it was yeah. okay, it was but solid. it wasn't. You know, but it wasn't like, oh my God, you have to see Black Widow. You have yeah. to see this film. And um, Shang-Chi is also not a film that I would say, like, I think the action's amazing, but I wouldn't say like, you gotta stop what you're doing and see Shang-Chi. And so like when the films themselves are not like, this is amazing, it also like doesn't create the urgency to see them immediately. I have not seen Shang-Chi, so I will let you know once I see that movie. Yes, but I will do a Shang-Chi podcast whenever that comes out. I mean, I will say we have talked about this before. I am an advocate for the theatrical experience above all else. Mm. I have started like being fine watching movies at home. <laughs> like I watched the Suicide Squad at home and it was perfectly fine with that choice. Mm-hmm. If Shang-Chi was on Disney Plus, I would watch it at home. Yeah. My wife is pregnant. It's a little too dangerous for us to be taking too many risks at this specific point. Uh, so like, you know, I will see Shang-Chi in the theater probably, but I'm not going to go Friday night to like a packed house and something like the suicide squad. Like, I don't know, like it was fine. Is it going to bum me out to see something like last night in Soho or Dune at home? Like, yeah, for sure. But it's not the end of the world to me anymore. I mean, the way I've seen people behave, like if you thought people behaved poorly before at theaters, like wait till you see them post pandemic. Like that's the thing. Like, I think it's, it's one thing to sort of evangelize the theatrical experience, but like you got to sort of, and, and I'm with you. Like, I, I, I think the theatrical experience is great. I always have a better time seeing a movie in a theater, assuming the theater is not filled with dickheads. And yeah. usually the theater is filled with dickheads. And the projection is good. And, and the projection is no, good. And that's you know. the thing. Like, every, like, Christopher Nolan can, like, evangelize for the theatrical experience all day. He's not seeing it in my local theater. Like, he's no. not seeing this shit. And, like, he can, and so, like, you know, come on down, Chris, and I'll show you what it's like <laughs> where, you know, where the other half lives. This guy in the seat next to me has his shoes off and has a blanket with his girlfriend. And they, yeah. Have and a the hot guy dog. on the other side of me is on his phone the whole time. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you tell me about the magic of, of cinema <laughs> the magic of the movies that is why we are privileged little shits and love to go to film festivals yes because, like at tiff there's no there's no cell phones in the theater actually there is there is cell phones <laughs> well there's some but you not, not you necessarily <laughs> yes, that was I'm a very sorry. specific incident that's a specific evidence that we won't get into <laughs> yes yeah. it's funny in retrospect Actually, it was funny at the time as well. Uh, But yeah, so I I feel like, you know, it's going to be interesting to sort of see if box office rebounds or how it rebounds or how the theatrical experience, you know, develops. But I do take a bit of encouragement from the fact that Free Guy had had a small second weekend drop. Because what it tells me is that people saw it on its opening weekend and then there was enough word of mouth to be like, you need to see that. And you can only see it in theaters. So people were like, okay, I want yeah. to see, I'm not going to wait. I want to see this in a theater right now. I want to, to enjoy myself and free guy delivered. Yeah. I think that that scarcity, that like exclusivity of like, you have to see it in the theater helped it. But I think it was, you know, the green Knight was also only in theaters, but the green Knight is not, you know, not a, something not a that crowd people pleaser. Are, not necessarily a crowd pleaser that everyone is rushing to go see. Um, I don't know. 
perfect movie, perfect time. I can't wait to watch it again. I, I just think it was, it's, it's a success all around. It's one of those, like there are a ton of um, like four quadrant movies that, as I said, that come off as really cheesy or cloying. There's just something about this one that it's so the earnestness is so sincere that you kind of uh, you can forgive some of its more commercial leaning aspects. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm not going to like hold up for you guys like, and this is the savior of cinema, but I think there's something, something to be said for movies that are like fun and cheerful and uplifting. Yeah. So, um, so switch shifting gears a little bit, uh, this weekend on the Twitter, (laughs) and I, I, I think I should, I think it's worth pointing out that like the point of Twitter is to make you angry. Like that's how they serve you ads is like, it keeps you engaged. Yeah. Um, but there was some discussion of, you know, is block was blockbuster good or bad. And in some ways it's a, it's a moot point. Cause you know, blockbuster is dead. <laughs> blockbuster doesn't exist anymore. Like it exists in like, there's one store left in Alaska or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important to sort of, you know, look at, it was an important cornerstone of home entertainment and what it was. And I think, exploring the historiography of it is important and not letting nostalgia just be like, yeah, Blockbuster was the best. Yeah. Uh, but also I don't think it should be Blockbuster was the worst. Um, it was the worst in many ways. Uh, there was a good thread about sort of its many sins in terms of how it would censor films, how it promoted certain, you know, studios to, to take a more censorious approach to their material. Um, because of the way it was marketed or the way it was made because they, they would have to work out for the secondary market. Um, although to be fair, I think that could, that's slightly overstating the case a bit because even without Blockbuster, you had like, how do we get this onto, you know, television? How do we get this into airplanes? Like, like, mm-hmm. there, like there was a big secondary market. It wasn't just Blockbuster, but Blockbuster obviously was like a huge component. But I also feel like, you know, because it was pretty much the only game in town, because it was a, a company squeezing out any smaller competitor, it was where you went for movies, man. And like you and I, like, you know, we love movies and we love movies partially in because we found them at Blockbuster. Like they yeah. were there on a Friday night for us. Like, it'd be nice to be like, it, it's nice to think of a world where it's like, I got into movies because I live near a repertory cinema. And yeah. then I went down the street to the independently owned movie video store that had all the classics and all the art house films and all the indies. And it was, everything was perfect. And it's like, that wasn't the world, <laughs> Yeah, you know, like that just wasn't the world. And in like, and we can admit that like Blockbuster was bad, but also saying like, it had to have done something right because it didn't like snuff out cinephilia mm-hmm. <laughs> in the world. Yeah. I mean, for me, Blockbuster was great. Like that was where I saw, I would not be the cinephile that I am today without Blockbuster because I, you know, obviously it started with the new releases, but then I would start wandering down the horror aisle or the classics aisle, which is something Netflix doesn't have. But like I very methodically, when I like realized there was more to movies than, um, you know, like Independence Day, I started looking at stuff like that. I wanted to watch all the Godfather movies. So I went to Blockbuster and rented all the Godfather movies. I wanted to watch all the Jaws movies. So I went to Blockbuster and rented all the Jaws movies for better and worse. Um, Like they had those movies. 
and that's where like you couldn't you can just go on amazon and order you know this movie to watch for free or fire up a streaming service like yeah, that's how we, i saw movies yeah you where were you going to find it and like you can be like well it was in pan and scan it's like that was the technology man like yeah. they i saw so and... many classics in terrible aspect ratio and still love them well like i mean they made it in pan and scan because your tv was four three and your tv yeah. was four three because that's how tvs were made since the 1950s and then studios responded by releasing things in widescreen to combat television and mm-hmm. then, like this is there's a technological story here it wasn't just like someone one day been like we're gonna release it in the wrong format just to fuck with people like yeah. no it was they they had a reason it was not a great reason and it was like the wrong decision but there was a reasoning behind it so, yeah you know, and I, I didn't have any indie like rental stores near me. Like right. there were other competitors of Blockbuster, but that was it. And honestly, nobody had. I mean, Blockbuster got worse. Like as you got into like the mid two thousands, the selection got a lot worse yes. because they were starting to rival against dwindling DVD and like sales. Right. Well, and, yeah, the rise of the DVD market. I mean, that's something also important to note. Is like for our younger viewers, it's like, well, why didn't you just buy these films? Okay, well, the way it worked was, is because Blockbuster had such a stranglehold on the market, you couldn't buy a film when it came to VHS. The, the tapes themselves were actually prohibitively expensive. They were like $100 a tape. Um, and the reason being is because they didn't want to sell through to the individual consumer. They wanted it to be sold in bulk to Blockbuster. And then Blockbuster yeah. would sell you that shit used down the line. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when the DVD market came out, studios were like, well, why are we like losing out on these profits ourselves when like a, we can just sell them directly to consumers? And that created the DVD boom. And then you could get all these movies directly to you. And that's to your point, Adam, like when Blockbuster started really struggling. Yeah. And that's when I picked up so many movies at Blockbuster. Yes. <laughs> I would buy like, yeah, like here's In Good Company starring Dennis Quaid. Just I was like, sure, $3. Waddle out with just a ton. Exactly. Of- yeah. Like just gently used, you know, pre-owned DVDs that's, and games, you know. Also, mm-hmm. Blockbuster is how I saw South Park. Like I didn't, we didn't have Comedy Central yet. Like it wasn't, it was a cable channel that wasn't carried in my area. Oh. So I rented the VHSs of South Park at Blockbuster. Like that's yeah. like people forget, like everything was not on demand. You could right. not watch anything you wanted anytime you wanted. This is how you, like, yeah. Rental stores are like how I saw like Sopranos and Deadwood, yeah. like things that were on HBO. I didn't have HBO. Yeah. I wasn't Mr. <laughs> Moneybags. <laughs> And it's so weird like, now for people to be like money bags, HBO. It's like, yeah, HBO back in the day, you had to have money <laughs> to get yeah. HBO. Now it's $14, but back then you had to have some money. To me, it's kind of like, you know, if 20 years from now, someone said you are shit for liking AMC theaters. And it's like, well, that's where I saw movies. <laughs> like, I, you know, I didn't have an indie theater in my area and I saw movies ranging from Avengers Endgame to Nomadland at AMC theaters. So like, you know, what are you going to do? Right. I think I don't want to like, I don't want to be like, it's elitist to like whatever, but I think there needs to be at least a little bit of empathy for understanding that like people come to movies in different ways. And it's not, they're not doing it to spite you. It's not like you and I didn't make a choice. We didn't where there wasn't like a nice warm mom and pop, (laughs) you know, video rental store down the street whose business we chose to not patronize. Yeah, It was like, this is what we were given. And I don't have to carry, like, I don't have to, like, get a Blockbuster t-shirt to be like, yeah, this is where I shopped. But I have to also be honest and be like, yeah, it still made an impact. Like, I, I don't know. You don't have to be, ang- again, 
just because it's Twitter, you don't have to be angry about everything all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think you made a good point too about like, I think we're nostalgic for the community of Blockbuster and you compare it to something like Netflix. Whereas like, as a kid, like going to Blockbuster was like a thing I did with my friends. Like mm-hmm. we would load up in the car, we would go to Blockbuster, we would argue over which movie we were going to get. Sometimes we'd get a couple of them. Uh, argue over like, oh, should we get a video game? Like instead maybe, and you go home and like you fire up the movie. Now it's like, you just pick up the remote and you click Netflix and that's that's the extent of your like investment. And I think that... I think that leads to like, oh, I'll just be on my phone because like it was just, I could pause it. I can, you know. Well, yeah, there was no, in- you never had to make much of an investment. It's just there. It's it's just oxygen. Yeah. You just breathe it in. But when I was not- super young, I would go on like Fridays and at Blockbuster, you could rent like, if you were a member, you would have, there would be like deals. So we could rent mm-hmm. like five movies for like the price of two or something like that. So right. my sister would get one or two and I would get the rest. And I would just marathon those movies all weekend because I knew they were due on Monday. So I had to watch them. <laughs> I had to get them watched and get them done. But like, it was, it was this kind of like, oh, there's an urgency versus like, oh, the Netflix DVD has been sitting on my coffee table for 18 months now. Yeah, I would, <laughs> um, I kind of do wonder though, like, like if you were to talk to like someone like who's like maybe like 11 or 12 right now, it's like back in my day, sometimes you'd want to see a movie and you'd go to a bill, you'd have to get in your car and go to a building. And then the building might not have your movie. If it did have your movie, you had three days to watch it. If you didn't watch it by the third day, they'd, they'd make you pay more money until you watched it or gave it back to them. This was the way the world worked. It sounds insane when you say it out loud, but we all accepted it at the time. Listen, I got very good at getting the phone book out and calling blockbusters and being like, do you have Titanic? No, we're out of Titanic. Okay. Call the next yeah. one. Do you have Titanic? Because Titanic was like a hot item when oh, yeah. it came out on VHS. D- two, two, two tapes. Two tapes. Two tapes. Uh, and and didn't, it, didn't, didn't the tape, like, like, wasn't the end of part one, like when they hit the iceberg? Yes. Yeah. Awesome. That's just <laughs> okay. good. That's just good. Vividly that's just good, a cut, that. good cutting point right there. It is. It's a very good cutting point. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it, yeah, it feels a little back in my day, but also uh, Blockbuster wasn't like like just sh- flooding their shelves with shitty Blockbuster originals that are like, eh, <laughs> well, like, and Nef- also, like, like Netflix is. Well, it's also you wouldn't walk into a Blockbuster and they'd be like, look, we made you some content. <laughs> yeah. Do you like this? If you like this, you should watch this. Yeah, here's content. I don't yeah. care what you watch. I mean, they, Blockbuster didn't care what you watched, but <laughs> like, but also they didn't try to carry themselves as like, we, we care about prestige cinema. But also yeah. like any brick and mortar, like you go to like a Barnes and Noble now and like the, co- the corporation may be craven, but like the people that work there are like mm-hmm. human beings. So like by, and like a ton of people in our industry right now worked at Blockbuster Video. So I just don't understand this hostility because it was like movie nerds who I like think, wanted right. to share their love of movies. And that's the thing. I think you can be hostile towards like Blockbuster as corporate entity, but I think it's, I think there needs to be a bit more empathy for its patrons and workers for the people essentially. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, let's move into recently watched. Uh, Adam, what have you seen lately? Um. So I wanted to talk about reminiscence a little bit. Oh, <laughs> I ooh, watched spicy. reminiscence. Uh, you know, I thought it was fine. <laughs> I think this is the kind of movie that, like, 
studios should be grateful for the kind of hybrid release model because like if this was a theater only thing it would just bomb and like the reviews were not good and then it would immediately be forgotten mm-hmm. uh it, you know it's clearly a sci-fi noir you know noir-ish inspired kind of deal you can see it everything coming from a mile away but i was still kind of like intrigued but it you know i don't know it was interesting i mean it's written directed by lisa joy it's just so westworldy like that the structure the even just like the way it's put together which is very yeah the themes it just is very westworldy and yet like i thought it was okay like this is the perfect kind of i will take reminiscence over like most of the crap that's on netflix any day like it feels like a real movie i will say (laughs) no it has has production values put it on the poster it feels like a real movie that there's something to be said for that i will say like for me, I probably would have liked it a little bit better if I hadn't. I had to basically do a double feature of that and Shang-Chi. Mm. And so, like, it's basically don't make me, like, you know, cram down a bunch of chicken tenders at the local Johnny Rockets in the mall to, before I <laughs> rush to see your movie. And I'll probably be in a better mood. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I watched it on, like, a, it was just like a lazy Saturday afternoon. I was like, oh, I'll squeeze this one in. I'm kind of curious about it. Uh, yeah. And like Hugh Jackman gives a solid performance. Yeah, it's. I mean, I thought is, is it Thandaway? Thandaway name? Or, uh, yeah, I think Thandaway. Thandaway. Is how it's I thought she's the heart of the film. I thought she yeah. was really good. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just it was, it was a film I felt could have done more, but it was just kind of whatever. I will say my big takeaway from this and from Lisa Joy's uh, episode of uh, Westworld that she directed is that I think she's a really great action director. The shootout scene uh, in Reminiscence, I thought was a lot of fun uh, and really well choreographed. I would love to see her tackle, you know, an action movie. I think even something has, like a Marvel movie. I think she know? has great world building instincts. I just think the stories yeah. that she tells within them are a bit dodgy. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah, uh, I watched Reminiscence. It was fine. <laughs> Watch nice. it if you want. Better than Godzilla versus Kong. I'll give it that. Fair enough. Uh, for me, I watched, I've been doing on a bit of a Fellini kick because for the longest time, the only Fellini I'd ever seen was eight and a half, which is not the Fellini you really want to start with. Cause like, that's his kind of his career retrospective movie. That's like him. And it's, it's very autobiographical. Like, so it's sort of like coming in at the end and you're like, no, you need to kind of know this guy better. So I, I finally, I watched I Vitellini. I watched, um, La Strada and now I watched, uh, Knights of Cabria, Knights of Cabiria. And that one is very, is my favorite so far, is Knights of Kabiria. And it follows this uh, prostitute. And it's kind of episodic. All of his films that I've seen so far are kind of episodic. But it's, it's a, I think it works the best in sort of the kind of bittersweet melancholy that he's going for of sort of life is a rich experience, but can also be incredibly sad. And so following this woman who... She's not, you know, she's kind of clinging to the fact that she owns this shitty house behind a gas station, but like, at least she has a house and it's sort of her, her own sort of internal struggle between her dreams and her reality. Um, And the final 30 minutes are kind of a gut punch, not like they're brutal, not in a way that's like graphic or anything, but just in like the emotion, the emotional roller coaster that it puts you on. Uh, but it's really well done. Uh, I was really moved by that one in a way that I felt like Lestrade I thought was interesting as sort of a fable, but it didn't hook me in the same way that Knights of Kabiria did. And so 
apparently like, you know, we were talking about like, you know, streaming, hey, you could find things on streaming, but like you can't find La Dolce Vita on streaming. It's not streaming <laughs> anywhere. So I'm gonna have to like go down to my local video store and buy it or just buy it sight unseen. Yeah. Uh, either way. But, and then I want to see uh, Amarcord and I'm sure I'm butchering the names of all of these, but um, those, that, that's sort of where my Fellini kick is right now. I have seen zero Fellini movies. Mm-hmm. I've also never seen nine by Rob Marshall. Have you nine seen is, nine? I have seen nine. Nine is not good. Nine is, nine is surprised. Nine is shockingly bad because nine is not only Marshall's follow up to Chicago, which is excellent. Yeah. But the cast for nine is oh, it's insane. insane. It's Daniel Day Lewis. The trailers like were like Oscar winner, Daniel Day Lewis, Oscar winner, this Oscar winner, that. It, Marin it was Cotillard, just like every, Penelope yeah. Cruz, like Sophia Loren, right? Sophia Loren's in it. And I think the problem with nine, at least my biggest problem with nine, I think the directing isn't very good, but also I think most of the songs are not very good. Hmm. So that's a problem. so there you go um all right well if you want to keep up with this podcast you should follow us on twitter adam where can we find you on twitter at adam chitwood and you can find me at matt goldberg thanks for listening everyone and we'll be back with you next week